I'm going to be talking today about one of the I am's of Jesus, continuing in our series, but before I do that, I need to introduce a couple of people. Um, clearly, they need no introduction because they're so well made that you know exactly who they are, right? No response, right, okay. Uh, this right here is representing man today, humankind, and this right here today is representing God. Okay, so just keep that logged in your mind, and we'll get back to them in a minute later. Um, so yes, I am talking about one of the I am's of Jesus today, but before I let you know what that I am is, and before I actually talk anything about Jesus at all, I want to have a bit of a history lesson. I want to go back in, in time a little bit. I'm just going to put my uh, timer on, because it might go over. Start. Um, yeah, we're going to go back in time. We're going to go back to the very beginning, because if we know the backstory, if we know the history, if we know the prelude to Jesus, then all of his words become way more powerful. They become way more influential, and we understand them in a, in a much better way. It's like trying to watch episode six of Star Wars and trying to understand everything that's going on. You need the backstory. So we're going to go really far back into the Garden of Eden, okay? We've got the two trees right here. Can any, you're going to have to use your imagination, yeah? They're not trees, but I couldn't bring in trees in my little hatchback. Hatchbacks are great, but not for tree carrying. Now, can anybody tell me the names of the two important trees in the Garden of Eden? Shout them out. Come on. Tree of life, life, yes. So we're going to have the tree of life over here, and the other one is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yes, that is going to be this tree right here. Okay. Now, these trees really did confuse me for a long time because... I mean, they seemed kind of fair enough, like, okay, yeah, that sort of gave us a, a chance to see man sin and all that, but what the heck's a tree of life about? And what's the tree of knowledge of good and evil? What, I mean, why is it so bad? God said, you can't eat from this tree. He said, you can eat from any tree in the garden, but you cannot eat the fruit from this tree. And now everyone thinks it's an apple, but I'm not sure. I think it was a banana, because I like bananas. Now, he said, this tree right here, you can eat from any tree in the garden, but this tree you cannot eat from. This tree has got the forbidden fruit, so don't even think about eating it. Okay, but why? I mean, fruit is not wrong to eat, is it? It's one of your five a day. It's a good thing to do. Why? What is wrong with this fruit? Is it poisonous? Are we going to drop down dead because it's poisonous? Clearly not, because we know that they eat the fruit and they don't drop down dead right there and then. So the tree itself, I mean, the fruit itself is not the problem. So what is it? What is it? What is that tree all about? What is it representing? So we find out a little bit about that. Because I, I feel like this is the very beginning. God had an opportunity right here to lay the foundations for how man was to live. Yeah, he could have given some, some really good laws. He could have kicked out with the Ten Commandments, like, don't steal from the tree. Don't murder to get this fruit from the tree. Don't lie about the, about the fruit on the tree. Don't covet all these things which we could understand why they're wrong. We could understand why we have a command not to do that thing. But he didn't. He chose to just say, don't eat the fruit from the tree because you're going to die. So why? I really want to know why. So we read in Genesis 3, 1 to 6. Don't go there because I'm going to read it to you. And you're going to have the wrong passage or the wrong uh, translation. You've got to just listen to my voice. Okay. So now the snake was the most clever of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day the snake said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat, eat from any tree in the garden? The woman answered the snake, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God told us you must not eat from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden 
You must not even touch it or you're going to die. But the snake said to the woman, you're not going to die. God knows that if you eat this fruit from the tree, you're going to learn about good and you're going to learn about evil. And God knows that when you do that, you'll be like him. And the woman saw that the tree was beautiful. Mm. She saw that the fruit was good to eat. Mm, that looks good to eat. She saw that this fruit, if she ate it, would make her wise. I think this fruit would make me wise. She saw all of those things, so then she, also, uh, she took some of the fruit and she ate it. And then she also gave some of the fruit to her husband, and he ate it. So this gives us a little bit more of a picture about what is wrong with this tree. Because we know it's not eating the fruit. Eating fruit is good. What's wrong with the tree is what it represents, and it represents man's heart. It represents man's sinful nature, because they, they had one command from God. Don't eat from the fruit. But the enemy came along and started teach, speaking to them words, it's going to be fine, it's not going to be bad, it's, not good. it's going to be good for you. And the woman herself and the man, they both used their own wisdom and their own knowledge. They looked at it and they thought, actually, yeah, according to my knowledge, which I'm about five days old at this time, this tree looks like a good tree to eat from, so I'm going to eat it. So they didn't trust God. They trusted in themselves and they trusted in the enemy. That was the problem. That was, that was the problem with man's heart. It wasn't eating the fruit. It's that they didn't trust God. So when we talk about the original sin, we don't want to say from now on, what's the original sin? Oh, the original sin is Adam and Eve ate the fruit. No. The original sin is that man didn't trust in God. They trusted themselves. And then that lack of trust led to disobedience. So that's the original sin. What happens next? So we move on. Same chapter, verse 22 onwards. Then the Lord God said, The man has become like one of us. He knows good and he knows evil. We must now keep him from eating the fruit from the tree of life, or he will live forever. So the Lord God forced man out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And after God forced the man out of the garden, he placed angels with swords of fire that flashed in every direction on its eastern border to keep the people from getting to this tree of life. So this now, I'll tell you what, every time, oh, come on. We'll get you back on there. There we go. Now, every time I've read this creation story, I've definitely glanced over the tree of life. I have no idea what that is talking about. It seems to just be, it just seems to sort of depict God's cruelty. It's like, here's Adam and Eve, and what's happened right here is Adam and Eve, they were walking in the garden with God. They were hand in hand. You see, you might not be able to see at the back there, but these guys' arms are linked, right? Um, they, are, they are with God. They can be with him, hand in hand, face to face. They know each other. They can speak. It's like the perfect relationship, and when they sin, when they don't trust God, when their disobedience comes in, this separation happens, and they get thrown out of the Garden of Eden. <laughs> Good job, John. <laughs> Just leave him there. Just leave him there. Yeah. This separation happens. They get forced out of the garden. Man is on the outside, and God is on the inside. And they never, they don't get, oh man, I threw the wrong one. <laughs> I threw the wrong one. Yeah, thank you. Ah, <laughs> oh, I'm glad you guys are paying attention. Cheers. Whew. Testing, testing you all. You're good. 
Um, so we got this separation, and that is the big problem. Because sin comes in, and God said, if you eat this, eat, eat this fruit, you're going to die. They didn't drop down dead, but they did start entering into the spiritual death. They're not able to be now with the Father. They can't see him. They, can't, they, they, they can have a relationship, but it's not what it was. Nowhere near what it was. There is this separation from God. And now, we've mentioned the tree of life. This tree seems to have the solution, seems to have the answer. Man has sinned. They didn't trust God. They've been separated from the Father. They're on the outside. They're, they're living in pain. You know, that's when childbirth comes in. and it, Well, childbirth is probably already there, but it's painful now. And, and the man has got to work the land, and it's painful. There's pain in their life now, and there's difficulty. But this tree apparently has all the answers. This tree has our salvation. This tree brings reconciliation. It's going to reverse all the effects of sin. It's going to make man get back with God. So obviously, we read on and uh, God says, um, you can eat from this tree straight away. Please come on up and uh, have your fill. You sinned, but you know, there's the tree, so go and, go and fill your boots. No, he didn't. This is what really gets me. I don't understand it. I didn't understand it. God throws them out of the garden and then puts angels all around it with fiery swords just so that man can't get to this tree. You know, the way I see it, it's like, it's like a, a little child goes up to some stinger nettles and thinks, oh, those look pretty cool. And the father says to the child, trust me, you don't want to touch these stinger nettles. You do not want to touch. If you touch these stinger nettles, if you do anything with these stinger nettles, it's going to be a lot of pain. All right? it's going to, you're not going to like it. There's going to be tears. Father walks off, and the child thinks, well, I'm pretty wise, you know. And actually, that, that pile of stinger nettles looks pretty decent to me. Looks pretty uh, lush and green. Looks pretty... It looks pretty healthy. It looks pretty comfortable, actually. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to strip off, and I'm going to go bathing in some stinger nettles. So he does it, which uh, anyone wants a story, Rachel uh, has a story about that. Um, not Rachel, Becky. I don't know where Rachel came in. Becky's got a story about that. She's experienced it, and it doesn't feel good. All right? And then the father comes back to the son and says, okay, don't worry, don't worry. You've, you, you're in a lot of pain. You've sinned. You've done what's wrong. But don't worry, because we were always told when we were a child, wherever there's stinger nails, there's also dock leaves, the precious dock leaves. I don't know if that's true. Maybe we were just told that, but I was told that. So son, I have a pile of dock leaves here. And if you rub these all over your body, the sting is going to go. You're gonna t- the sting is going to be gone, and it's, it's all going to be fine. Here is your salvation. Here is your solution. But I'm just going to put this over here and lock it in a box and then surround it with angels with fiery swords so that you can't get it. That's how I saw it. Like, there's the solution tree right there, but we can't have it. Why even, why even tell us there's a solution? Why even say that it's there and then make us not have it? It just seems mean. So, this is the situation we, we have. Now, why can't we have it? Because as we've talked about with this piece of fruit, the fruit's not the problem. We don't have a physical problem. So if we had a physical problem, then we could have a physical solution. If the fruit was poisonous, we could just have some medicine fruit and things could get better. But we don't. We know that. We know we don't have a physical problem. We have a spiritual problem. Man's heart is broken. Man's heart is corrupt. Man's heart doesn't trust its creator. It doesn't trust God. 
That's our problem. So how can we ever think that the solution is going to be a literal piece of fruit from a tree? It's not. Our, our solution is something much more greater. It's something much more spiritual. So what is this? Some of you smarty pants have probably jumped ahead and you know what this solution is. But we're going to jump ahead now out of the Garden of Eden and we're going to go to, to Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter 6, um, verse 27 to 35, this is just after we've had the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus says, do not work for the food that spoils. Work for the food that stays good always and gives eternal life. So we've just been talking about this tree of life that if you eat from it, you have eternal life. There's this food on that tree. And then Jesus comes along and says, work for the food that is, all, that is good always and gives eternal life. So he's referring to that tree. The Son of Man will give you this food because on him God the Father has put this power. The people asked Jesus, what are the things God wants us to do? Not really sure why they asked that, but they did. Jesus answered, the work God wants you to do is this. Believe in the one he sent. Now what was the problem? The problem was that we didn't trust God. And now Jesus is coming and saying, I want you to believe in the one he sent. I want you to trust in the one he sent. So the people asked, what miracle will you do? If we see a miracle, we will believe you. What will you do? Our fathers ate manna in the desert. This is written in the scriptures. He rained manna down on them to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who gave you this bread from heaven. It is my father who is giving you the true bread from heaven. God's bread is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The people said, sir, give us this bread, always. They're still thinking he's talking about bread. Pfft, idiots. Then Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. There's the title if you wanted to know it. I am the bread of life. So I don't think that this tree was a fruit tree at all. I think this tree was a bread tree. This was a bakery tree right there. And it was put there, it was put there in the beginning so that God could show us that Jesus wasn't plan B. He didn't make everything good and hope, hope for the best and hope it to work. And then, oh man, Adam and Eve ate the fruit. This is awful. Now I'm going to have to come up with another plan. Oh, I'm going to send Jesus. No, he was the plan from the very, very beginning. And it even says in Peter, 1 Peter, it says, Christ was chosen before the world was made. Christ was chosen before the world was made. The way I see the creation story, before any bit, any bit that we read in the Bible, before any of that, when there was nothing made, when God, the Father, and the, and the, or the, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were up, wherever they abide, before anything was made, they were having this conversation, and they thought, guys, let's make something, let's create something, something that we can love with all we have, and something that will love us back. Let's do it, because that's what we desire. And they, they all were in agreement. Yes, this is exactly what we want. We want something to love. We want something to love us back. So let's make man. And then one of them said, well, we know what's going to happen. If we make these guys in our own image, they're going to run away from us. They're not going to trust us. They're going to leave us. And then what are we going to do? And Jesus says, what we're going to do is we're going to make them they're going to run away, and when they leave us, when they don't trust us, I'm going to go down and I'm going to bring them back to us. That was the plan from the very beginning, which, is, which should bring us a lot of 
confidence, which should bring us a lot of hope, because it's not, God doesn't just make things up as he goes along. He doesn't respond to bad things. He had the plan from the very beginning. So Jesus is talking about himself being the bread of life, and he goes on and says, <clears throat> Jesus said, I tell you the truth, you must eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, otherwise you will not have real life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. My flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood, here's the cool bit, live in me, and I live in them. Those who eat my bread, eat my body, and drink my blood will live in me, and I will live in them. So we see we have this problem here that God's over here and man is down there. Yes, we can be in a relationship, but it's nothing compared to what God wants for us. It's, nothing, it's not the original plan. It's not, what, it's not the original thought that they had in their mind of what relationship was to be like. So here we see the, that, that full circle, that solution. Because Adam and Eve, they walked with, with God. They were with him, but they did not have him in them, and they were not in God. So Jesus came, he came to make it way better than it was in the very first place. Now, I don't know how I can illustrate in, but let's just put them back next to each other. There we go. Because Adam and Eve were, were with, but we now get the opportunity to be in and have him in us. You can't, when we had separation, that's a problem. The opposite of separation is closeness, and you can't get much closer than in that's pretty close. Now, what does life look like when you have God in you and you're in God? When we have that restoration of relationship, what does it look like? It looks like the ability to really be able to love yourself. It looks like the ability to love others. When you have Jesus in you and when you're, you're in him, you learn how to really powerfully, sacrificially love others. A love, a love that changes the entire world. You learn to love yourself in a way that changes your entire life. You say goodbye to insecurities. You say goodbye to depression and anxieties. You start to look at broken relationships and, and, and you know that there is hope for that relationship. You start to realize that there is no broken relationship that is too big for God, or too broken for him. There is no situation that is too big for him. You start to live in a purposeful life, not just living for, for survival, not just living for the next day. You start to live with purpose, real purpose. There's this continuous hope that no matter what situation you're in, Stuff can still be good. The Lord is still good to you. There is nothing that can overcome you because your conqueror is in Christ. When you start living in him and he starts living in you, all fears drop off. Perfect love casts out all fears. You start to live in joy, in peace. No matter what situation you're in, you can have joy and peace. And for us, I think that's not, that's not a crazy, crazy thought. But when you think about Jesus applies to every single person in the entire world. We think about those that are being persecuted right now. We think about those that are, are living in, in like refugee camps or, or really, really at the, the lowest point in life. This stuff still applies to them. 
that really got me before. It's like, I can see how God can be in my life, but how can God be in someone's life? How can there be real life in someone that doesn't even know when the next meal is going to come from and doesn't know if their child is going to die any minute? Jesus still applies to all of that. When we start to live in him and he starts to live in us, we become changed from the inside out, transformed. It's incredible. It's incredible. Now, some of you may may be thinking, well, yeah, I've accepted Jesus. I've accepted him. And I thought I had him living in me, and I thought I was living in him. But I'm definitely not experiencing what you just listed off. I'm definitely not experiencing this incredible love that you're talking about. I definitely haven't seen the back of depression. I definitely don't have hope. But I have accepted Jesus, so how does that work? And I want to illustrate a reason for why that might not be working. And I don't know every reason, but a reason, I want to um, illustrate it through one of my favorite things. Now, anyone that's been to the pub with me after church on a Sunday will know my love for chicken wings. Mm, chicken wings. And if you're all being real, you love chicken wings too. I mean, if you could have one meal for the rest of your life, it's chicken wings. If you could have it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you'd have it. If you could have it for starter, main, and dessert, you'd have it. And then you'd probably have extra portion. Chicken wings are so good. And I've got, and something breaks my heart. When I see other people eating chicken wings, sometimes they just do this. <clears throat> I'm going to skip my chicken wings. Got my bowl ready for the bones. And uh, that one's done. That one's done. And there's so much meat left on the chicken bone. There's so much left on it. And it breaks my heart. And if you've eaten with me, you know that I just pick up your bones and I'll eat them. Because they're good. It's so good. Now, the rule I have with chicken wings is you put the whole thing in your mouth and you don't let it come out of your mouth until every last piece of skin, every last piece of gristle, and every last piece of meat is gone. Yes, the gristle. The gristle and the jointy bit, that all goes. It's all good. It all tastes great. It goes into the mouth whole and it comes out only bone. And only then can you put it in the discard pile. All right? And then after you put it in the discard pile and you've gone through all 25 of your chicken wings, you then pick them back up again and do an extra search just in case you missed anything. And then if you're completely satisfied with how much chicken skin and gristle you've got off the bone, you then take the bones and you start swirling around the bowl, the bowl to get all the barbecue sauce or the chili sauce or whatever's on there. You get every last little bit of it and you don't stop until you've done it. Now, if you're going to make notes, that's the thing you're going to make notes on, all right? I want my approach to Jesus to be the same as my approach to chicken wings. There's a spiritual importance to that. I want it to be the same because this book has got so much richness in it, so much depth in it, that you can spend every single day, every single moment of every day, pouring over it, Asking holy and wise people, listening to sermons about it, and you still couldn't get all the meat off that bone. You still couldn't. There's so much depth to it. But sometimes we think, yeah, I've accepted Jesus, and my life's still the same. And I thought all I had to do was say the prayer and just like believe in him, and that would be it. No. There is so much depth to it, but you've got to find it. You've got to dig in deep for it. You've got to commit to not just... Read this every now and again 
you know, like once a week and just like read a verse before you go to bed and then fall asleep and forget about it. You've got to commit to regularly, real regularly, pouring over this, finding out what is it about. You've got to commit to prayer. You know, it's not just a once a week thing. It's not just a in the car as you drive to work or school thing. It's a I'm going to get on my face for maybe an hour or two and I'm going to, I'm going to suck all of that meat off that bone. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask, God, what does this mean? God, how do you apply to my situation in life right now? How do you apply to it? Because you said that you do. You've got to commit to really sucking that meat off that bone. 